This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel according to Mark the Evangelist, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Once on a Sabbath, Jesus was passing through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick heads of grain as they walked along. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath day? He replied to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and his companions? He entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priests. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the gospel history of our Lord. The Pharisees loved a rule. It didn't even have to be a good rule. They loved it because like most human beings, like everyone except for those who have true faith, they thought they were saved by keeping the law. And in fact, to guard the law, they even added 600 laws to the Ten Commandments. So it is that they think that they have Jesus trapped, if you will, because his disciples are doing what they decided was unlawful. Now, that's one example of one of the ways people uh, reject God's gospel and end up elevating the law. But the opposite can be true as well. For example, the guy in Corinthians, uh, as Paul writes the first epistle of Corinthians, he reasons that Christ kept the law for him and he's free from the law. But he forgot that God is still holy and that he's holy in Christ. And so he was bragging that he was having sexual intercourse with his stepmother. He was outright denying the law. You'll often find this in Christian congregations. There are those who understand their Christian freedom too much and they reject the law. And there are those like the Pharisees who reject the gospel. They love a good law. And the truth of the matter is our sinful nature when it's convenient for him, will reject the law, and then he will, when it's convenient for him, reject the gospel. And so today we will ask the question, how do you walk that thin line between rejecting the, the, the gospel, that's what we call a legalist, and rejecting the law, that's what we call an antinomian. And the first answer to that question, if you look at our text, is how Jesus goes to the scripture and uses the scripture to answer this. You've got to know the scripture. The apostle Luke records, or the, the evangelist Luke records in the Acts of the Apostles how after leaving Thessalonica and when they arrived at the city of Berea, the people listened to Paul and not contentiously but they ran to the scriptures they had to confirm what Paul was saying about the Savior. So the Bereans searched the scriptures. If we want to walk that thin line between rejecting the gospel and rejecting the law, we have to know the word of God. And so those Pharisees had 600 laws they had added around the Ten Commandments to protect them from violating the Ten Commandments, but not a one of them was found in Scripture. You'd be surprised how often Christians scream out laws or scream out rejection of laws that's never found in the Scriptures. Number one rule 
to avoid, or the number one thing we do to avoid uh, rejecting the law, rejecting the gospel, is to be Bereans. We have to, we know the word of God. We search the scriptures. And in those scriptures, we find the core teaching, which is justification by grace. Let me explain what that means. You and I cannot help but to sin. And so God was perfect in our place. He did all the works of the law for us. And then he suffered the punishment our sins deserve. And then he sent the Holy Spirit into your heart, working through the message that he's done all the work of your salvation. And then with that Holy Spirit in your heart, with the faith you have, we always say it's justified, never sinned at all. Ha ha, justification, we're being justified by grace. That's the gospel. And that's the core teaching in which all the other teachings of scripture revolve around. But that's one of the two main teachings, although it is the hub. The other main teaching is the law. And that's where the Pharisees have a problem in today's text. The disciples were walking along, and it's not that they were trespassing, nor is it that they were picking grains that, were, that didn't belong to them, because in Deuteronomy, God had allowed this. They weren't harvesting the whole thing. But to the Pharisees, they reasoned that they were working because they were harvesting Again, they're not harvesting the whole crop. They're taking a few grains here as a snack. So Jesus points to the intent of the law. And to do that, he doesn't even immediately go to the Sabbath law. He goes to David and the showbread. This is David who, between ages 12 and 14, had been anointed to be king when Saul had fallen out of faith. But... God would not install him to be king for some time. God was going to train him. This is David who roughly age 14 when Goliath the Philistine challenges everybody, that giant, and, and he's saying blasphemous thing about God's people and God. David, because he's the anointed one, because the Holy Spirit's with him, David recognizes we can't tolerate this and David slays Goliath. David ends up eventually married to Saul's daughter, so he's, Saul is his father-in-law, and he also ends up as Saul's general. Now, the Philistines at this time were constantly harassing the Israelites, and so it is that David becomes a very effective general, and the people start cheering after victories. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul gets jealous. Saul then determines to kill David, and he's pursuing him. David is running for his life. David does not want to hurt his father-in-law. And it's then that he comes to his best friend, who's also his brother-in-law, Saul's son, Jonathan. He says, why is your dad trying to kill me? And Jonathan is truly doesn't know. He says, my dad would never try to kill you. But basically, David, you hide out, Jonathan says, and I'll go check with dad, and, and I'll get the message to you. Well, when Jonathan brings it up to his father, Saul, Saul throws a spear at him and calls him the son of a lawless woman. And Saul even says, can't you tell that he's going to be king and not you? Saul gets it that David has the Lord's favor. So Jonathan tells David, yes, run for your life. And in the process of fleeing with some of his men, David comes to Nob. I say this is the day of the mobile home uh, temple because the temple that Solomon is going to build is a, is a few years away, yet David's still young. And the tabernacle isn't really in use anymore, so there is this kind of in-between at Nob. And he asks that priest, Abiathar, for some food for him and his men. They're not starving to death yet, but having been running for days, they're, they're hungry. 
Well, the problem is the only bread they have is the show bread. Let's explain what that is. Remember that whether we're talking about the tabernacle or the temple, the pattern had been set to remind us of God's presence with us when he would take on human flesh as the Lord. So you had the inner room that was the holiest of holies representing the throne of God. And there was only one thing in that room. And that was the Ark of the Covenant that had the Ten Commandments in it. The high priest went into that room once a year. He had to go through a bunch of ceremonial cleansing. And then over those Ten Commandments on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, that was called the mercy seat, he would sprinkle the blood of a lamb to atone for all the sins Israel had done that year. And on his way in then, he would have to go through a curtain. That was the holy place. And that had the altar of incense where uh, it would raise up to the Lord. And, and that's where the, the priest Zechariah was offering incense when the angel Gabriel appears to him and basically says, you're going to give birth to the Lord's forerunner, John the Baptist. There was also a candelabra in that room. And there was a table that had 12 loaves of bread. Every Sabbath, they put 12 loaves of bread there and removed the old loaves. That was to remind the people, all of the nation of Israel, because they represented the 12 tribes, that they were always before the Lord and he would always provide for them. So the priests were allowed to eat that bread. Now, normally they could take some of the sacrifice and stuff home for their families. But this bread, they had to be ceremonially cleansed. They had to be clean and they had to eat it in, shall we say, a consecrated place. So that was the law. Jesus doesn't point to the Sabbath law. He points to the fact that the Lord's anointed David is 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 in need of nourishment, he and his men, and the priest finds himself in a conundrum. This is only meant for the priest. They can only eat it in a consecrated place, but God's general, if you will, here on earth, him and his men need it. As an exception to the rule, he gives them that bread that was meant for the priest's tea. Now remember, that's the exception to the, to the rule. Jesus points this out because what he's saying is the intent of the law was not to cause people to die, just like the Sabbath was not intended for people to, for, for man. So, I mean, for, uh, to be served by man, but, man but, but the Sabbath is meant to serve men. So he says those words. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The intent of the Sabbath day is God gave it to the Israelites was that they would have physical rest. And of course, when you rest physically, resting mentally, psychologically as well. But what we often miss is that in those days, if you lived in Jerusalem, you would go to the temple and hear the word of God proclaimed. If you were uh, in one of the small towns outside of Jerusalem in Israel or any of the towns, you would go, the priest would come to you and he usually had the scriptures memorized and he would proclaim a portion of them and explain them. Now, by the time the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, the synagogues have come up and those are kind of the ancestor of, of the Christian congregation where they would come to a formal worship service and have the scriptures read and explained. So the idea was they were to rest physically, uh, psychologically, if you will, and spiritually in the word of God. That's the intent of the law. And in New Testament times, remember those, the, those laws as they were given in the form of the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites on Mount Sinai until the coming of the Savior. Today, Martin Luther recognized when he wrote his explanation to that commandment that what it means is we should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching or his word, but gladly hear, learn, and obey it. So Christian congregations don't, aren't 
don't say, well, Saturday was the Sabbath, but now it's Sunday. No, they, they say, this is a time when we can meet to mutually encourage and give each other rest in the word of God. And so they pick a time, in our congregation's case, it is Sunday morning. That's the intent of the law. So what Jesus point out here in a modern day example would be if normally you wouldn't speed, especially in a residential neighborhood, but if you have somebody next to you who's having a heart attack or a stroke or a medical condition, you're going to go as fast as you can safely and probably violating those speed limit laws to get them to the hospital. And if a policeman catches you speeding, I've worked with policemen, I've served policemen, I've yet to meet one who wouldn't escort you to the hospital, or if it was better and faster, call an ambulance for you then. So in that particular case, you wouldn't get the speeding ticket. However, if your friend is dying and you're going to go through a, a neighborhood with lots of children playing out in the street, risking uh, several hit hitting children and risking several lives, then again, to save that one life, you've missed the intent of that law. So we want to understand, not only do we know the word of God, but we know the law and its intent. The law always accuses us. The law never empowers us to keep it. Even as Christians who are alive in Christ, when we do things, the blood of Christ has to wash our sins away because we have that sinful nature. And the law always says there's that sinful nature. Oh, it didn't want to do that. It resisted. The other thing we have to understand, though, is the good news of salvation in Christ, the gospel. The law is dead. The law cannot empower you to keep it. It can only tell you when you've messed up. That's it. But Christ has, has kept the law for you. You and I can't keep the law. We're not pure. We're, and, and God became man to do that for us. And then he died to suffer the punishment for us and remove our impurity. And that gives us the power because the Holy Spirit working through that message has created the new man in us that is engrafted to Christ. So now we do good works because we're saved. They glorify God. And how do we know what they are? Well, the law tells us what holiness is. But the law never empowers us to keep it. That's what the gospel does. And the other thing we miss is in our Christian freedom, without new life in Christ being engrafted to him, we're not free. We're sinners. That's what we're going to do. But now we're actually free to struggle against that sinful nature because we want to glorify God because he has saved us. So the gospel gives us life and empowers us. So how do you walk that thin line between rejecting the gospel, being a legalist, and rejecting the law, being an antinomian? You got to know the word of God. You got to know the law and its intent. And you've got to know the gospel and its intent. The gospel empowers you. But you notice Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is true God who became true man. He understands everything and he's even Lord over the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is not God. So one of the problems we have when people, they want to latch on to a rule is lots of times they forget who God is and they elevate themselves. During the COVID virus, I heard people say, Jesus wouldn't wear a mask. And I heard people say, Jesus would wear a mask. And oftentimes, one simple thing, are you telling God what he would do? It's one of the sins you would have that people often fall into. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole thing there. Jesus is the God of love, and he would love his fellow man, and he's also God. He knows about the virus and everything. But the point here is lots of times I find people, when they want to reject the law, they want to reject the gospel, they actually think that they're the Lord telling God how to do these things. Oh, there's this principle our congregation has to follow, and if we don't, well, we just have to follow it. Well, then you're being God. Jesus is the Lord. It's not you. And Jesus has chosen to save you and give you new life in him. 
But what happens in those gray areas? Lots of times the people who want to, for example, reject the gospel and be legalists, just love a rule like the Pharisees, you'll find they have a hard time understanding the fact that life, not everything in life is black and white. There are gray areas, and they often struggle with those gray areas. What do we do in those gray areas? And let me give you an example. As a pastor, I've often been called where the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, and its principles of holiness and everything and salvation and, the, and, and God's, it all applies today still. But we have modern technology that a person can have a stroke and we have the equipment to keep that person alive even if it's clear God is calling them to heaven. Sometimes people say, what do we do? And sometimes the scripture isn't completely clear there. Is it wrong to hook up the machine or is it wrong to, or is it wrong to, to leave it disconnected and let them go to the Lord? When in doubt, apply the good news of salvation in Christ. Apply Christian freedom. That's very important for us to understand. A legalist will never apply the gospel, a person who's rejecting the gospel, and a person who's embracing the gospel, who's embracing their freedom, will never recognize they're rejecting the law. But if you're not sure which, go for the gospel. We're talking gray area and it's very difficult. However, and this is the last part of our sermon, once you've done that, your sinful nature will turn around and it'll say, well, now two days later we find out you should have done this, you screwed up, or are you sure you did the right thing? And so the last thing we want to say as we apply all this is find rest in the word of God. It is the word of God that the Holy Spirit used to create your new man. It's the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to nourish your new man. And it's the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to assure you over and over again, you're not God, you're not perfect. And that's why Christ did that for you. And so he reminds you that the blood of the lamb regularly applies to you and your sins are been, have been forgiven and you have new life in Christ. So how do you walk that thin line between rejecting the gospel and, and the freedom that comes with it, that would be a legalist, and rejecting the law, that would be crying freedom and doing things that didn't repulse God like that guy did in Corinth, that would be an antinomian. Know the word of God. Know the law and its intent. Know the gospel and its intent. Know your freedom that you have. Know who is the Lord. It's not you. Trust that the God is governing and he's in control. When in doubt, apply the gospel and do what the Sabbath law was meant to point to. Find rest in the word of God. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon today with a prayer based on Luther's explanation to the commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. O God, you command us to keep the Lord's day holy. May we so fear and love you that we do not neglect your word and the preaching of it, but cause us to regard it as holy and to gladly hear and learn it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.